South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. You know, who would have thought that the saving grace for this Toronto Raptors squad would have been Stormin' Norman Powell? Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the StadiumScene.tv network, part of the Overtime Media crew, and we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seats studio. So yeah, this week the Raptors, it was kind of up and down, it was kind of all over the place, but last night against the Nets, the ship seemed to be uh, set straight, and we're going to talk all about it today. Now joining me to do so, he's a familiar voice, and well, he wanted his own special intro, so... Now hit my music! Who is the show stopper? So you can find my work at lifeinrepeat.com. Who is the man? The entertaining and sexy, the champion himself. Who is the man? Joining me today to discuss all things Toronto Raptors is Mr. Reliable himself. He has returned to the show, Peter HBK of Life in Repeat. Peter, how'd I do? Adam, <laughs> oh my God, you, you've delivered. You've delivered. It's good to be back on the South of the Six podcast. And who knew? Who knew that all it took to write the Raptors ship was for you to schedule Peter HBK of Life in Repeat? It's officially after 12 noon here on a Sunday. So cheers, Adam. The Raptors are winning again. They're looking like the team that we fell in love with that was playing 15 and four is that one and four rough patch behind us. Let's hope so, but I'm not going to base it off of one game, but yes, it is better that they won than lost last night. And the schedule does ease up a bit. So this could be a good chance because for the Raptors to keep padding those wins because 16, 17 and eight, I don't think any of us would have guessed that mark at the beginning of the season, 25 games in. We're living in the best Raptors timeline ever. Coming off a championship, we got young guys to build around. We got a superstar in Siakam. We're actually defending our title. People are starting to talk about us as Eastern Con- making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And who knows? Making it to the Finals. It, it can't get any better than this. Even with that one in four rough patch, everything's still good. I agree. I think that, you know, when you see um, what went down in, in the return of Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, a lot of people had a lot of questions. A lot of people had a lot of uh, ideas um, of, you know, th- that's when the chatter of trade Kyle Lowry starts. That's when, you know, Serge Ibaka is garbage. We need more Chris Boucher. <laughs> you know, like, I think when people see these things, they get very reactionary. They get very impulsive when it comes to how they want to handle things because no one likes to see their team lose, especially the reigning defending champions. You don't want to see them lose. Um, but... All it takes is a little bit of patience. All it takes is a little bit of time to gel and to mesh, and and things start to fall into place. And you know, this week was sort of a roller coaster of a ride because not only were the Raptors playing poorly, but at the same time we had the return 
of Kawhi Leonard back to the Scotiabank Arena, and it definitely brought back some memories, definitely brought back some feels. So, you know, all in all, it's been an eventful week, um, and thank God for last night. I should note we were recording this Sunday afternoon. Thank God for last night's game uh, against Brooklyn to sort of right the ship because, damn, the Raptors definitely needed that. No, you're they definitely did. And I think a big talking point, it was even something I was, I had in, um, I wrote a piece, some, some alarming trends that kind of emerged, um, during the one and four stretch. And the big one was the threes just weren't falling. They, it was the last five games, they were shooting under 30% from three. We went from being the, through the first 19 games, we were the best shooting three point team. We've dropped to, to fourth. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things that we're still fourth, that's incredible, but the last five games, nothing was going in. And then that first quarter last night, I want to say they hit their first seven threes. I, I could be wrong. But it, it felt, and I think they made nine of their first 10. And that first quarter fireworks display from three-point land was, I think it was very cathartic. And you could almost feel like a burden coming off the players' like shoulders. And sure, we went five of 28 in the final three quarters, but we're not <laughs> counting that. We're, we're just going to focus on the first quarter. They went nine from 12 from three in the first quarter. And the old adage is, you know, you don't win in the first quarter, but you sure can lose. We might have won in the first quarter. I mean, yeah, the game was close, obviously. I'm I'm not meaning that completely seriously. But without that first quarter barrage um, and Siakam going off for 14 in the quarter, 25 in the half, um, it could, I mean, the game still was close. Brooklyn was within distance. But man, that first quarter, I think, I think that was it was good to have that right uh, right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. You needed to see that from this team, especially, you know, that devastating loss against the Clippers. And uh, we're going to get into all things Raptors, what went down this week. But we got to do a little bit of house cleaning before we do so, you know, the normal wear and tear here. So um, if you're listening to the show for the first time, welcome. Uh, you couldn't have picked a better episode to start listening to the Celtics 6 podcast. And if you are listening for the first time, and this is the first time you're also hearing Mr. Peter HBK on the show, I highly encourage you to dig through the archives and listen to old episodes with Peter on here because uh, him and I just kind of tear the roof off like a like a Stone Cold Steve Austin Bret Hart WrestleMania 13 match. Um, <laughs> while you're at it, you can uh, subscribe to the show and give us a five star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a bunch. Leave a review; it makes this more accessible to those that are looking for Raptors content. And uh, also, as I mentioned at the jump of the show, we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seats studios, and we are sponsored by the Vivid Seats app. So check it out. If you're looking to get to a Toronto Raptors game, or if you're looking to get into any event in the city, whether it's a concert, a comedy show, a theater show, whatever. I know Christmas is coming up, so there's probably a lot of Broadway stuff coming up when it comes to Christmas shows and whatnot. Head on over to the Vivid Seats app. We've partnered with them to give you the best opportunity to see your reigning, defending, and undisputed champions live. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. And they made it totally easy. All you have to do is download the Vivid Seat app on your favorite device, whether you're using an iPhone, an Android, whatever you're using, it's there. And you can search for your event very simply. You can search by price, by seat, by section, by row, all your choice within the Vivid Seats app. And to make things even better, they now have a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back called the Vivid Seats Rewards. The best part is you're automatically 
enrolled. You don't have to go through any, you know, red tape, no loopholes, nothing. You're just automatically signed up to save money. It's that simple. And every purchase is backed up by a 100% buyer back guarantee. And we here at the South of Six Podcast, we're going to hook you up, man. Check it out. First time customers get up to 100 bucks off their first ticket purchase by using promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, all within the Vivid Seats app. So if you want to save up to 100 bucks on your first ticket purchase, maybe you want to see a Raptors game and you've never used the Vivid Seats app before, head on over there. Use promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. We got a jam-packed show for you today. Peter and I always, always, always get in-depth when it comes to Toronto Raptors talk. You don't want to miss this episode. Hang tight. We will be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Peter, as I mentioned... All the feels were happening this week. We're going to get into, you know, the performances this week, both the good and the bad, but we got to start with a little bit of reminiscing. You and I have talked at length about on the show when it comes to, you know, what 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 goes down with the Raptors when they play terribly in the playoffs or when they play awesome in the playoffs or when bad moments like Kawhi leaving. We talk about that and break it down in the therapy session. This was a little cathartic to me. Having Kawhi Leonard come home you know the the presentation, the celebration, the tribute to them, to him rather, to me was sort of off the charts. It was off the chain. Um, I just wanted to get you know your perspective on this. How did you feel about Kawhi Leonard coming back to Toronto? Did you expect a little bit more from him in terms of a response, or did you think no, this is par for the course when it comes to Kawhi? And moreover, how do you think this cements his legacy as a Toronto Raptor? Wow. Yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday was something else. Um, it was, it was, I don't know what the right word is, but it, there was, a, there was emotional. It was nostalgic, even though it was just five months ago in last season, it almost feels like a, a like a lifetime ago. So it was, it was good to, to relive those memories. And I think, um, there's a certain aspect that makes the, that Kawhi leaving a little bit easier to swallow is that we're performing well, right? It's not like he came back and the wheels had fallen off. Um, we were, we weren't in the playoffs. Um, people were saying, let's trade. I mean, people will always say let's trade Lowry, but <laughs> who knows, who knows what, what the discussion could have been. So I do think there was an element of welcome back, but also, you know, our, our chests were puffed out too. Like, Hey, we might see you in the finals as well. But Toronto, the organization is getting so much respect, so much recognition for how they handled Kawhi's return. The footsteps on the floor retracing his path. I wasn't prepared for that. It was that was that was incredible. And then with Matt Devlin's voice over it and the the spotlight on the bucket where it went in, like the whole ceremony, Kawhi. Uh, yes, we know he's quiet. Yes, we know he's a man of few words. I thought he went above and beyond. Um, he, I, by my understanding, was that he encouraged New Balance uh, to to put up some sort of billboard. I'm sure New Balance probably thought it was a good idea and might sell a few merch, but it was still a nice touch. You don't see that very often. And, you know, it was a good reminder to Kawhi of, you might have just left the best crowd in the entire NBA. Like he he gets booed on his home court now. Sure, 
he lives in LA. He's on a formidable team. I'm not going to discredit that, but I do not doubt that pangs of doubt surfaced through Kawhi where he was like, damn, maybe I stayed. But even if he felt that, I think it's only human for him to have felt that. And I, I don't rule that out. I guarantee you um, that he even felt that. Um, but it was still good to, to welcome the guy who brought us a title. Yes, we had an amazing team around him, but without him, we don't win the title. He's in the finals MVP. Some way, the, the organization will find a way to ensh- enshrine his legacy. I know people have talked about retiring a number, and there's been debate on that because he's only played one game. But there could even be sort of a statue outside of the Scotiabank Arena at some point. They sort of have a Toronto Maple Leafs legacy bench outside the Scotiabank Arena that's sort of these statues of players in the Leafs organization throughout the generations. So if the Raptors were to ever do something similar, there's no doubt that Kawhi will be there. And also, too, you know, yeah, it wasn't our best game. We lost by 20. And it was also a reminder of if we forgot just how good Kawhi was, man, that guy is good. There's no rushing him. He plays at his own pace. He can score wherever on the floor. It, 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 it did bring back those memories of, oh, man, I, I miss having this type of player on our team where right. we could beat anyone. And Siakam's kind of climbing the ladder to hopefully become that. But we'll always miss Kawhi. And it was an emotional ceremony. It took me like a halfway through the second quarter before I could start focusing on the game again. Yeah, I, I feel you on all on all parts there. I remember um, I, I had the TV on early, um, and I had the the stream up, and you know my wife wanted to run out and grab a bottle of wine for the occasion, so I'm giving her a hug goodbye like right as the ceremony is starting, and like you know like a guy would that doesn't want to miss anything on television. Her backs to the TV, and I'm facing the TV, you know, kind of. <laughs> You know, pretending to be emotional about, you know, the the hug, but I'm actually, like, focused on the TV. And all of a sudden, you see the footsteps, and I'm like, oh, man, holy shit. And she's like, what's going on? And she turns around, she's like, wow, that is that is incredible. That was, you know, you got to hand it to the Raptors to be able to pull something off like that because you, you, you take a look at their media staff, everything from from the way they, they you know, organize and choreograph the entrances of, of the game and, you know, all the way down to open gym. I expect nothing less from them. Like, they, they are outstanding when it comes to how they conduct and orchestrate their, their thematics and, you know, their media things. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, his presence there, um, my worry was not so much that he'd do it. I wasn't worried that he would do this, but I was worried about how the reaction would be if he did. But if you remember when he went back to San Antonio, like they did have a video tribute for him and he was ignoring it, like completely ignoring it, just stretching on the sidelines with Danny Green and he didn't pay no mind to it. I was worried that Kawhi is so in the zone and so focused on the game that something similar would happen and it wasn't meant to be disrespectful if it did. It's just how he, you know, prepares. It's just how he gets into game mode, but I'm kind of glad it didn't. Um, I'm glad that he acknowledged the crowd. I'm glad that he went up to, you know, the teammates and to the front office staff and really, like, you know, made it a thing and made it a tribute. And it just goes to show that, yes, even though he didn't stay, Toronto is definitely somewhere special to Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think that if he, if he didn't give a shit, then he probably wouldn't have, you know, took taken the time to to have this type of ceremony. He probably has enough clout that he could have called it off. 
Um, I'm glad he didn't say anything. I'm glad there was no speech. I think the final speech that it, you know, in hindsight, that the perfect speech that he could have gave was at the parade, just to, you know, close it with the last laugh. I, I, I think there's something poetic to that. But all in all, I thought it was a great ceremony. But here's where I'm, you know, where I'm at now in comparison to the majority of people on Twitter, I think. I think the book's over. I think we can close the book on this. I don't want to dwell on this like an ex-girlfriend. I don't want to, you know, every year when Kawhi comes back, if he's on a different team, which, you know, he very well will be. um, I don't think a ceremony needs to be a thing. I don't think, like, uh, an MVP chant needs to be a thing. I think that that was the perfect bookend. Let's move on from it. But I fear, like, although we can appreciate what he did, I don't want to live in the past. Like, I I appreciate what's going on with this team right now, and I want to, you know, sort of look into the future. I want to acknowledge Kawhi Leonard for all the things that he did, but I don't know that it's it's productive to do that every single time he returns to Toronto. No, you, you make a very good point there. This there was a sense of of sort of turning the next page, right? And this was the moment he gets his ring. There's there's no more sort of housekeeping left to do with him. Maybe something post the end of his career, right? And I'm sure every time he comes back, he'll get a standing ovation. Just you know, he's 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 part of he's a big reason why that banner is hanging. But all the sort of pomp and ceremony, it was good to get it out of the way there. And it was like you said, it was an awesome, awesome moment. And Kawhi, you you actually make a very good point because there was the chance that Kawhi could be so focused on the game and maybe resp- I, I I didn't think he'd respond like he did in San Antonio. I, I think there's obviously a lot more bad blood there and a lot of stuff that, that that hasn't made it out to the public, I'm sure. Right. But the Raptors handled everything, everything perfectly. And even Kawhi, he acted like a pro here. How many times do we see a superstar who might sulk, who might ask to be out, who you can see sort of dogging it in games? Kawhi was a professional. And that that's very rare as well. But you're absolutely right. It's 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 time to turn the page. And these are I've been having this discussion with fellow with friends in my life who follow the Raptors closely, and there really is no precedent for what the Raptors are doing right now. When a team the- theoretically loses its best player, especially like it's never happened after a championship before. But you look at like when LeBron left, when Durant left OKC, when superstars leave, the Raptors aren't supposed to be this good. Mm. So I do think it's, you know, Kawhi left us in good shape. And I also kind I, I also give credit to Kawhi for the Raptors playing the way they are. Kawhi showed them what it takes day in, day out to win at a high level. And I've said it from from the beginning. The Raptors have adopted that mindset from the jump. And what we can take away is their defense is real. That's championship-level defense, and they learned that last season. The offense can come and go depending on injuries and cold shooting, but the defense is real. And Kawhi's fingerprints, Kawhi's DNA, even though he's not here, it's still part of this team. But I'm with you, Adam. We 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 congratulated him. We we felt all the feelings again. We relived it all. And now it's time we can go about conducting our business, which is getting a top seed, maybe shoring up the roster for a playoff run, 
and you know setting our sights on 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 the goals that we accomplished last season they're attainable now in the past when we talked about the raptors winning a championship it always seemed like a pipe dream that we couldn't reach Kawhi showed us we can reach that and this team knows that and the team that got the players on this team that got this experience are going to be core players for the raptors for a while we have Siakam, Fred Van Fleet. Oh, gee, we have such an amazing Norman Powell. How can I leave him out? Um, we have such an amazing young core that the, the, the second championship's not going to be 25 years away like it was this first one. I, I like the sound of that. Like, and, I, and I do think you're right. I do think that there is, you know, trace, uh, traces of Kawhi's like, uh, leadership qualities that were instilled into this team that are being activated and, and used this season. I do think that the emphasis on defense is definitely something that's obvious there. And, you know, his presence on that end last year sort of bled into the other players, especially OG and Anobi, even though he didn't play that much last season, you can tell that he's, you know, sort of on that track to be an elite defender. I don't think he's necessarily there yet, but he definitely has that sort of ceiling uh, in his arsenal. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I Going back to what you said about like having him maybe having some sort of doubt or maybe second guess or whatever, I don't necessarily think he regrets his decision, and I don't think that's what you were saying at all. But, you know, a lot of people like to hang on the fact that he mentioned in a scrum, I'm not sure if it was before or after, I think it was before, the game saying that uh you know I definitely gave Toronto some uh a high level of consideration I definitely um was leaning towards staying it was a very hard decision I don't know man like going back to like the ex-girlfriend kind of thing I don't know how productive that is like how why do we need to hear that kind of thing and I know it's kind of you know like Adam stop shitting on the parade like that was a cool moment for Toronto I get it but like who cares at this point it's kind of over and I don't like to get hung up on those like oh I maybe I would have stayed I definitely could have stayed but I didn't like it's just a reminder that like yeah but something kept you from coming back to Toronto whether it was geography or whether it was the aspect of staying home or whether it was because we wouldn't trade for Paul George I don't know but you know that to me just sounds like lip service and like reflecting on these things it's definitely bittersweet having the moment of the the tribute and i was like oh that's awesome but then hearing all these things i'm like yeah but bro you left like you didn't say you left and i'm still a little salty over that no you make a good point like this is this is the thing about these media scrums. No, no one's forthcoming. Yeah. No one's really asking the hard questions because the beat writers they don't want to be kicked out of the next scrum. They it's it's so Kawhi. Even if the truth, let's say the truth of the situation was, he gave us zero consideration. He was out the door. Someone asks him the question, did you give Toronto the situation? He's not going to say, oh, God, no. <laughs> See how cold it is here? No, 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 no. Like, e even if he genuinely felt like that, he's not going to say that. Right. And I'm not saying that that's how he felt. But anytime there's quotes from a media scrum, unless it's Nick Nurse, he, he shoots from the hip for some reason, which mm. I love. But everyone else... They're just sort of saying the cliches, right? You can't really gain any knowledge from any of these quotes that the Raptors beat writers put up there because they're everyone knows the game. They're, they're, the truth isn't really going to come out. Hard questions aren't going to be asked. And you're absolutely right. Like, what does it mean to us that he almost chose us? Being all he, it doesn't mean he's 
He's not here. He didn't choose us. And whatever the reason is, whether it's because we didn't make the effort for Paul George, whether it was because he wanted to go to L.A., it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, he it's a cliche, but he didn't really owe us anything. He won us a title. But it, it's it, it's time to stop asking him, like, how seriously did you consider us? Because it doesn't mean anything. Like, so what if he considered us? He didn't sign here. He's not here. So you're absolutely right. Like, let's move on from that. He's not here. He's not coming back. And the Raptors will be okay because of it. And and, and I think it's okay to, to be like that as well. To wrap a bow on this conversation before we move on to the meat and potatoes of the Raptors this week, um, I know this is a little childish for me to ask Like when it comes to, oh, which one was better? But uh, I'm just going to do it because I think it was an interesting topic that I saw on Twitter. Do you consider this tribute and the reaction that Kawhi got to be more than the reaction than DeMar DeRozan got? Because, you know, for me, although the tribute was way more badass for Kawhi, I still think the people were a little louder for DeRozan. Like, every time DeRozan touched the ball, even in pregame, people were going apeshit. And there was no, like, sense of booze. There were no sense of, like, you know, bad blood or anything. Um, and, you know, seeing as though the Raptors won that game against San Antonio in Toronto, and, you know, Lowry kind of turned heel by stealing the ball away from DeRozan. Um, you know, the, the Raptors won, so it wasn't as deflating, whereas in this one, the Raptors got blown out by the Clippers, and, you know, the, maybe that reminded Raptors fans, oh, yeah, man, this is why Kawhi left. And there was sort of a, de- a deflation in that aspect. So I kind of wanted to get your take. Do you think that this was a, a more favorable reaction from the crowd, or do you think DeRozan uh, definitely killed the decibels on that one? Damn, I... I... That's a very good question. <laughs> Damn. These are people having some serious talks on Twitter. There, I'll tell you this. The Toro- to, I, I don't want to, because you're obviously a, a Raptors fan and probably the one of the biggest I know, if not the biggest. Okay. <laughs> but Thank you. I, I'm only saying that because I'm about to say the people of Canada felt an attachment to DeRozan. Yes. Kawhi... For all the great things he did, there was, and it's his personality. He has a detached personality. There was never a moment where he made us feel the way we wanted him to make us feel that, that we were important to the process, to games, to him playing well, um, to, to anything. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's that's his M.O. That's the way he takes care of business. We kind of enjoyed it last year. His one word, his two word responses went viral and we, we, we embraced that part of him. But there we but there's DeRozan wasn't detached. He spoke fondly of wanting to play here. He signed multiple times. He made it clear he wanted to spend his career here. And there's despite all the DeRozan detractors and what people say about his game. When he was a Toronto Raptor, we were telling everyone, this guy's a top 20 player and he wanted to be here. And that means something. So I do think the Raptors tribute to DeRozan, it was louder. And now that I'm thinking about it, I was feeling more feelings about DeRozan than Kawhi. And it's it's a funny thing to debate because these were both great receptions, and now we're trying to rank these great receptions, right? But DeRozan, I, I 
I, I, I don't care about any of the slander that said about him now. He's his he, his number's going to be retired here. It probably should be the first. I would even put him against before Kyle Lowry, and I know that's a sensitive subject. And just because someone may disagree with me about that, it doesn't mean you're right, and it doesn't mean I'm wrong. It's my personal opinion. DeRozan, I think, despite Lowry still being here, DeRozan is part of the cultural fabric of Toronto, of Canada, and is still in my mind, he's the greatest Raptor ever. I think you bring up a good point. I think when it comes to, you know, comparing the two, DeRozan and and Kawhi, because I think in a way, especially with Toronto Raptors fans, they're always, those two players will always be intertwined, always. Um, But you look at DeRozan, I think that when it comes to his legacy as a Toronto Raptor, he definitely has a stronger one than Kawhi Leonard in terms of the totality of everything. Whereas I think Kawhi Leonard gave and offered and and lent Toronto as a basketball, you know, franchise. more moments and maybe even better moments right and you can obviously the championship obviously the shot you know posterizing over Giannis the no look steal like we can name these things and we'll always remember visualizing them whereas DeRozan it just seems like you you think about a moment that DeRozan had and it's like oh yeah but he had a you know a boatload of similar moments that were almost exactly the same and that's not to minimize anything DeRozan did it's just that they're not as special in terms of on the floor basketball. But what makes DeRozan so special is you're right, he embraced the city and he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to not be a Toronto Raptor. He wanted to spend the entire, you know, his entire career as a Toronto Raptor. And I think that's what makes him more special. So you and, know, you... and Kawhi, Kawhi never really felt like he was ours. Right. There was almost like we were trying to talk ourselves into him staying. And I even was convinced he was going to stay, but there it's that detachment where he never felt like it felt like he was putting on a work uniform and, and going to work. Well, you got the sense, like, and I, I don't want to do that because it's 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 it feels like I'm bashing Kawhi, but uh, I'm not because man, like Kawhi hit the biggest shot in Toronto history, right? right. I was ten rows behind that basket. I'll I'll never forget that. And DeRozan never had those highs in the playoffs through his multiple seasons here that Leonard did. So Leonard gave us the highest of highs, but I think that just the longevity of DeRozan and, you know, it's, it's important to remember like DeRozan laid the foundation for all of this without him staying, without him leading this team to being a consistent 50 win team, 59 win team, getting us to our first conference final, showing us that that was even possible. And what was DeRozan's biggest crime that he couldn't get past LeBron James. No one did, right? No one did, but it became the Raptors and therefore thus DeRozan's burden to bear. It almost just, the Raptors became in sync Um, just by the defeats to LeBron. But no one really talks about how LeBron dismantled the Pacers, dismantled the Celtics, dismantled, um, I'm sure, the Hawks, the 60-win Hawks, right? Like, for some reason, it sticks with the Raptors. And and it's not like in defeats, these other teams played just as well. Like, LeBron was beating them in four, five, six games as well. And a part of it is definitely how we lost to LeBron. But it's important. We, without... DeRozan getting us there, laying that foundation without him allowing, I don't want, that sounds, doesn't sound like the right word, but him and Lowry thriving together, like that built this. And without 
that and literally without Demar, we don't get Kawhi and we don't get that title. So I don't understand. There's a lot of burying of DeRozan when I think that's the wrong way to go. It's okay to appreciate DeRozan without insulting him. It's okay to appreciate Kawhi without insulting DeRozan. Like DeRozan's a franchise icon. Like his number is going to be in the rafters. So fans, people on Twitter, Raptor, treat him with that respect. Treat him like you're watching his banner going up and you're there that night clapping along and being emotional because that's the type of player he is. His name should not be slandered. No, no, it shouldn't be at all. And, you know, I, I even though, you know, I may disagree with the order of, you know, retiring numbers, I certainly think DeRozan's number, and this may be a controversial take when it comes to, you know, listeners here, but I certainly think DeRozan's number ought to be retired before Kawhi Leonard's jersey, if that's even retired at all. I, I'm sure, like, there's a strong argument that, you know, number two will be retired, and, you know, God help whoever wears number two before it's retired on the Toronto Raptors, you know. But, um... You know, I, I do think there's there's an argument to be made that his jersey ought to be retired before Leonard's. And uh, in my personal opinion, I think I'd go Lowry, uh, DeRozan, even Vince, and then Kawhi. And I know, like, a lot of people have a lot of salty feelings when it comes to Vince. I think those are behind us now. Um, I think, you know, when you look at things in hindsight, when it comes to Vince Carter, I don't want to get into a huge discussion about him. But I certainly think he was more ingrained into the fabric of Canadian basketball than Kawhi Leonard was that entire year, even though I do think Kawhi Leonard gave more um, in terms of things to celebrate. So that's just my opinion. I think DeRozan ought to be celebrated, and I don't think that we should look at what Kawhi did and then reflect that on DeRozan and say, well, DeRozan didn't do enough, so he sucks. I don't think that's appropriate. Yeah, and we're not just like, regardless of what order we think Jersey should be retired, we both have the same conclusion that his Jersey will be up there. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of that is contingent on when players retire. Like it, it, you know, like they're, they're not going to wait to do it in a certain order. Like if DeRozan suffered a catastrophic injury, couldn't play again, they'll probably put his number up in two years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that his went up first. You know what I mean? I, there's so many factors that go into, when the number goes up. So it doesn't really matter the order, but I think we all agree which numbers will be up there. And I, I, and even if the Raptors don't necessarily retire Kawhi's number two, I don't think they're going to let players wear number two. It's not going to be like uh, a Cavaliers situation where they let Colin Sexton wear number two, uh, Kyrie's number, but yeah. obviously Kyrie kind of burned some bridges in Cleveland. So obviously different story, but I, I would be surprised if we do see a Raptor play, player wearing number two um, more so. Not many players wear number two, and I could see the Raptors kind of being like, "Hey, you know, it's not really retired, but we want to re- we want to respect Kawhi, so you're going to pick another number." Yeah, is, is how I think they would handle it. I agree. All right, let's wrap a bow on this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back to discuss all things Toronto Raptors and how they've been performing this week. Stay tuned. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Peter, let's talk about the Raptors' recent struggles. Um, As you mentioned at the top of the show, you wrote uh, a piece uh, about the Raptors, you know, and their struggles this past, you know, stretch of games. Since Lowry and Ibaka have been reinserted into the lineup, the team didn't gel as well as they did during their absence. And I'm not saying, and you, you even said this, I'm not saying that they were directly responsible for the team's woes, but there was definitely a chemistry issue. Um, now, last night's game against the Nets, so it was a solid step in the right direction. But then again, it was the Nets without Kyrie, without Kevin Durant, without Levert. Um, so you can sort of throw that into the equation. 
Um, so what do you think ought to be done to mitigate this? Or do you feel that yesterday's game against the Nets was enough to give you confidence that, okay, everything's fixed. We should be fine moving forward. <laughs> That's a big question, Adam. We could, <laughs> we could talk about, oh, wow, yeah. Like, it's, it's hard not to notice that the Raptors went eight and two without Lowry and Ibaka. And, and I say that when that Friday night against the Pelicans, when Lowry went down, when Ibaka went down, the collective Raptors thought was, holy shit, our season is in jeopardy. Oh, yeah. There's no way we can win. Without and we were on a West Coast, we just started a West Coast trip yep. too. <laughs> so it's it's not like we were playing like uh, the the Horn. I mean, the Hornets are actually pretty good. Like, a, a shitty team in the East, right? Yeah, the Bulls. <laughs> uh, exactly. God, thank God for the Bulls. Oh my goodness. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we, I, I felt I was like, uh oh, our season's in jeopardy. I don't know how long Lowry's out. Ibaka's ankle sprain looked really bad. Like, are we looking at months here? Because even if it was two weeks, I pictured like, I that's I, and, I, and I and I think it's important to remember that feeling as well in that moment that we felt like, oh, the season's in trouble, but somehow the season wasn't in trouble. Somehow our young guys that this organization built around while also building a contender. So think about that. Most organizations have to pick a path. We're winning a title or we're developing our young guys and built the Raptors did both. That's, that's hard to pull off. So Lowry went down, Ibaka went down and some reason Fred Van Fleet took a leap. Yeah. He is playing like an all-star. He is playing, dare I say, like Kyle Lowry and maybe even a little better than Kyle Lowry. Fred Van Fleet took a leap. Pascal Siakam took the superstar leap. Remember, it was a discussion when he signed the Max. People were like, well, does he deserve the Max? And people were like, yeah, he does. He was like, oh, I don't really know. He's never led a team. And, <laughs> and that, that, that's kind of proven foolish, right? And Norman Powell, he became the Norman Powell of our dreams. I remember last season, Adam, we, we were talking about what our expectation for Powell was. Um, he was coming off that, uh, oh, I, I could get my timeline. He was coming off another big series against the Bucks, mm -hmm. And he's, he's taken that leap where he's reliable now. He's, he's actually finishing his layups not wholly, but more often, <laughs> more often than not. I'm not nearly as drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he's, we might have to change the rules to the Norman Powell drinking game because before it was meant as slanderous and now it must be meant as praise when he hits three pointers, take a swing. He's, he was key to that Bulls victory. He put, he, I think he carried us oh, yeah. in that fourth quarter against the Bulls victory. And last night, he was just on fire. I think he had nine points in the first quarter. He, he he shot the hell out of the ball. Like who who could have planned for that? And this is what happened. And the Raptors went eight and two. And before Lowry and Ibaka went down, it's important to remember we had zero faith in our bench. Right. And that was part of the worry. Who's going to step up from our bench and do this? Sure, our bench still is something that could be improved upon. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with injuries, but certain players got to play more. It allowed Rondé Hollis Jefferson 
to become a Toronto legend, right? Like it allowed for Terrence Davis II to play a little bit more. So with Lowry and Ibaka coming back, it was only to be expected there would be an adjustment period because you're integrating Lowry. Lowry doesn't play 20 minutes a game. The dude plays close to 40 minutes yeah. a game, Yeah. right? And he, when he's in there, he's sort of the, the sun in our solar system and all the planets, all the other players revolve around him. So they got used to playing with Fred Van Fleet. They got used to more minutes, more touches, more responsibility. And then Lowry and Ibaka come back roughly the same time, I think a game apart. And Ibaka, he plays 20, 20 to 30 minutes a game as well. So this players, these players, they're going to have to get used to their minutes and their situations and responsibilities having to go down a few levels. So I do think that did mess with chemistry. Is that a knock on Lowry? Is that a knock on Ibaka? Absolutely not. It's just a statement of fact, Yeah. right? Like you, you miss a certain amount of time. The team thrives without you and you come back in, they're going to have to get used to things again. So I do, I didn't read too much into that rough patch. It also came against some really good competition as well. And it also coincided with us going ice cold from three. And now the schedule breaks a little in our favor with some less stiff competition heading into the holidays. So we got the Cavs Monday. We go to Detroit Wednesday. We come home for the Wizards. That's a promising slate to build off this Nets win. And also I throughout this whole season, we haven't had a fully healthy team. It, very little, or if at all. So I can't wait for Fred Van Fleet to come back from his right knee contusion, to be playing like he's playing, to be playing with a uh, Lowry healthy again, Ibaka healthy again. This version of Norman Powell, like it's exciting almost. We still haven't seen the full firepower of this roster. And do does, does this roster have flaws? Absolutely. Rebounding, second chance points, bench contributions. But I think some of that could be mitigated a little bit just by full health. Yeah, you know, a lot of people like to stick to uh, the chemistry woes, but they don't really see the other things that are flourishing, right? And that's not to say that, you know, the these these chemistry issues minus last night aren't concerning or weren't concerning, depending on how long they last, if they are, you know, done. but, you know, you look at, as you mentioned, the performance of Norman Powell. You're absolutely right. Like, this guy has been lights out, and I really, really hope that this is going to become more of a thing than less of a thing, right? Because the thing that we've always worried about Norman Powell is his consistency, because we've seen it. We've seen him perform at a high level before, and we're like, okay, he's going to turn the corner, and then he turns into a brick. And that's what I'm worried about when it comes to Norm, because more often than not, it doesn't turn the corner into a positive direction. He sort of just takes two steps back. So I'm keeping my hopes up that this is legit because, you know, having said what I said about the consistency issues, he hasn't played this well for this long in a very long time. You know, unless he thinks he's convinced himself somehow that every team he's playing is the Milwaukee Bucks and nothing else, then fine. Like, that, he, he's going to be awesome from here on out. I, I love it. Um, 
But also, look at Marcus Gasol. Like, a lot of people were, were ragging on Marcus Gasol, and last night was a huge step in the right direction for Marcus Gasol, in my opinion. Right? He was posting up. When's the last time you saw Marcus Gasol post up? I haven't seen it. <laughs> like, he, he's finally doing He's playing big. He's playing rough. I need to see that. I need to see more aggression from him. And, you know, yes, Serge Ibaka has even come out and admitted, like, I'm not 100% right. I still have some some things to, to figure out and to work on to get back to full health. I wanted to come back to help my team. Like, he said as much as this. And it baffles me, baffles me why people are so about Chris Boucher playing over Serge Ibaka. I don't get it. Yes, he played well during the absence. He really did. But when you put him against a guy like Joel Embiid in that game against Philadelphia, people were screaming for Chris Boucher to go in. Why? He he bites on pump fakes. He does not have the body to go toe-to-toe with a Joel Embiid. That's, Marcus All has got him figured out. Why on earth would you put a Chris Boucher in? If you do that, to me, I feel like that's a liability. To me, that feels like it's a worse-off thing. And he's not even that fantastic of a rebounder. Yes, he can get he can grab bar, boards. He's good at it. But he's not a world-beater at it. He's not going to—I don't think he's going to be able to get him over a Joel Embiid. To me— you just need to like let these kinks go as they as they are right now because you need them to be worked out now in comparison to later. Yes, it sucks seeing your team lose. It, you no one wants to see that. No one wants to see the team lose especially in what 3 4 games in a row. No one wants to see that. But you want them to go through these lulls now in comparison to April because in April, people are fighting for playoff spots. In April, people are fighting for home court advantage. You want them to be a well-oiled machine then so they're not experiencing these these mental relapses later on. I want to touch on two things you said. The sure. norm part, the, the consistency, that has been the issue, right? You'll come out, you'll score 18 points, the next game he'll he'll miss all his shots and end up with like two points somehow, right? Yep, yep. You, you could set your watch to it, like you knew, oh, we're not going to get anything from norm tonight. And I feel, and I think we have that still in the back of our minds because I'm always, I'm surprised now. I'm like, oh, norm's got 20. Yeah. He had 20 yesterday. What's up with that? Yeah. Like I, it's, it's disarming. Like, and I, I think as we're almost kind of shocked that it's happening because we kind of thought maybe he was a finished product that maybe he might get a titch better, but not a significantly better and not be able to string together multiple games like this. So it is a little, it's taking a lot. To, it's, I'm, I'm still getting used to Norman Powell being reliable. Yes. And, and, but I think, I, I hate to say it, but I think he has been yeah. <laughs> like the dude in 25 games. He scored in double figures 16 times. He already has six games with 20 or more points. He has a game where he dropped 33. And a lot of these good games have been over the last 10 to 15 games. So I don't want to, I'm not going to say he's fully there, but I didn't think he had this in him. I hoped he had this in him. This was our hope for him, for Norm to find consistency. Right. But he's uh, he's actually making a case for when everyone's healthy to eat into a little of OG's minutes unless OG becomes a little bit more consistent. But that's a separate discussion. Boucher, whatever the question is, Boucher isn't the answer. If, if, if people are saying to put him over Ibaka, no, yes. that's, that's not going to happen. And you know what? A lot of people don't realize this. People think Boucher is like a prospect. 
The dude's turning 27 in January. He's a finished product. He's not going to get much better than he currently is. He's a slight frame. He can't bang down low. His rebounding, yes, he'll have the game where he'll have a few, he'll have double-digit rebounds. A lot of it comes from garbage time. And he'll often go stretches where he's ice cold, he doesn't pass the ball, and he's not a good rebounder. He's he's a good shot disruptor when he he has it going. But if if we're relying on Boucher to give us more than 8 to 12 minutes a night, unless it's garbage night, then we're in trouble and we we need to figure out a solution to that. And, And it's not a coincidence, too, that rebounding is a major flaw of this roster. If if it if it wasn't Boucher would be playing a lot more, but he's not the answer to that. Yeah, I I, I got to agree with you. Like I, I I get it. It's a new shiny toy, and I get it. He played well during the absence, but this is a replacement level talent. Like he's not a starting caliber guy. He's not a guy that you're gonna want to rely on heavily. You're right. More than ten minutes a game. That when you said that, I'm cringing. Like, something went wrong, and that's exactly what happened. Serge Ibaka went down, he was playing more than 10 minutes a game because something went wrong, right? And he, the release, although he does have, like, a nice three-point shot, the release is so slow for me that I can't put that in reliably, and he doesn't have a mid-range game. It's either under the boards or in deep. That's it. That's it. Whereas Serge Ibaka is everywhere. He can shoot from anywhere. You can question the reliability of it, but he's definitely more reliable than Chris Boucher, and he definitely can crash the boards harder than Chris Boucher. Did anybody remember how awesome Serge Ibaka was in the beginning of the year? He was awesome. Like He was playing so well like he was on a mission to prove that he can still play at a high level. So for the life of me, like no, Chris Boucher is not the answer. He's not. And like yes, it's good to have that sort of depth for when situations like an injury to maybe Serge Ibaka again, you know, knock on desk that doesn't happen, or Marcus All knock on desk that doesn't happen. Maybe it's just a load management kind of thing. But he's not a guy that you can rely on to play important minutes against superstar players. No way do I want Chris Boucher matching up against a Joel Embiid. That is just never going to happen in my mind. I agree. And you're right. It's important to remember uh, Ibaka was getting sixth man buzz yes he was he was a house of fire to start the season and that's the thing with a long season right it's 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 hard to keep track of the narrative from the beginning but that's why there's people like you and me adam to remind people of this (laughs) uh prior to getting injured ibaka was averaging 14 points he was shooting 54 52 percent from the field And since he came back, this doesn't include last night's game, but he was averaging nine points and 31% shooting. So a a, a significant drop off that is, I think, can be attributed to a coming back, trying to get more confident on your on the sore ankle. And you said he's even said he's not feeling like he's fully healed yet. But Ibaka, he's he's a shot blocker. He, he's not a great three-point shooter. He shoots in the low 30s, but the thing is the, the opposing defenses respect it. They close out on Ibaka oh, yeah. because he makes them enough and he's willing to take them as well. So if I, I'm, I'm not even, I wasn't even aware that people were saying Boucher over Ibaka. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, I, I shake my finger at those people. <laughs> Peter is disappointed in you. You, oh, yeah. you should know better. 
Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to say like, no, this isn't the answer. Like, it's because when you don't see something working out, like when Serge or or Gasol are playing poorly, the the impulse is that oh, get the other guy in, he'll play better. That's never. I'm oh, sorry, I can't say never. That's usually not the solution. The solution is not just to get a different body in there because he'll play better. You got to run with your guys. Like Nick Nurse has been, you know. It's sort of notorious, I guess you can say, throughout his short tenure as a Raptors co- coach, head coach, to be like confident and be reliable with his guys. He's going to trot him out there. And last night, you know, Serge Ibaka, I, I know you were at the game, Peter, but you know, on the TSN broadcast, he hit his mid-range shot right at the elbow, and Jack Armstrong nailed it. He's like, that is it. That is all you need, Serge. That's your shot. You own that portion of the court on offense. Own it. You have it now. Just keep running with it. And you can see this like sense of confidence that Serge Ibaka had after that moment. So much so that like he had 12 boards. He had a double-double last night, 12-12. and 12. No way Chris Boucher is getting 12 boards. He's just not, especially in on the defensive end. He's not grabbing seven of them. He's just not. And this is why, like, take a step back. I know it sucks to see your team lose. It really does suck. And to see these players that you rely on to perform not as well as you would like them to, but that does not mean that they ought to be replaced. It just means they're going through some shit. Stay patient with your guys. That's all I got to say about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of, if of this potential of Boucher buzzes, because people do see the length and the rebounding issue is, is not going away. So I think a lot of the is connecting the dots of, okay, we're having rebounding issues. Why don't we put in this tall, skinny kid, mm. uh, this, this guy to get the boards because, and you know, I did want to talk about the rebounding issue because I, 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 I it's, 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 it's almost unfair to, to say, oh, like, yes, it's, it, it, it is an issue, but it's a roster flaw. I'm not sure um, this Raptors roster can get much better at rebounding. Um, Gasol and Ibaka, for as, as great as they are, they, they do kind of under-rebound for their position. They're both averaging, I think, less than seven boards a game. Siakam's picking it up the slack by averaging over eight rebounds a game himself. But I think this is a team-wide issue um, that I don't think can be fixed. And it's, it's sort of going to be the, our flaw that we have to live with. Um, unless you think, Adam, that there I, I, that there's a way internally that they'll suddenly get better at rebounding, I think it will be this roster sort of kryptonite for a while. Internally, no. Like I, I just, I, there are certain things that you can work through and improve on, like shooting and passing and you know spacing and whatnot. But rebounding is sort of something that either you have the ups or you don't. And like right now, the players that we have to be reliable on the on the boards, there's really only three of them, I would say. Like, and you can kind of toss Kyle Lowry in there because he does like act like a bulldog in that aspect, but he's not. I wouldn't say someone that I reliably have to to grab boards, but you know, Gasol, Ibaka, and Siakam, I would say, are our top rebounders. Um, otherwise, there's no one else that I'm really. Oh, you could throw in RHJ. I guess you could say too, but otherwise, they're not like world beaters off the glass. So when it comes to Players that we already have, no. But it also wouldn't surprise me if, if Masai Ujiri is sort of digging and trying to finesse some moves. Because obviously, if we see it, he definitely sees that this is an issue for the Raptors. Yeah, and and there's also a part of me that wonders, and I, I wanted to get your take. Do you think the rebounding issue could potentially be mitigated, obviously not fixed, but slightly increased if we didn't have 
Lowry and Van Fleet starting both smaller guys for those positions. If maybe one of, if Norm took one of the spots that having someone bigger at this two spot can help get an extra board or two. I'm not saying this is an answer. I'm just trying to think within the roster, how can you make it less of an issue? Well, if you're if you're talking about the people that play the majority of the minutes, like the starters, um, I like Fred Van Vliet off the bench. I think he thrives in that, and it definitely would add a little bit of stability to the bench, and it would eliminate this Lowry plus bench that we sort of force game in and game out. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'd rather have a Fred plus bench or Fred with the bench at that point. I think Fred can do a little bit better with guys like Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis Jefferson and whatnot. Um, and I'm not saying a five and five thing, but I just think that he meshes well coming off the bench, and you know those six man nods would probably be there. Um, so having Norm play the two, it would it would definitely be a bigger lineup. But if if we're trying to solve the rebounding woes or at least you know put a dent in it, I think that's a, a positive step in the right direction. Um, especially given the fact that Norm is you know thriving on offense, you're not really losing much there. In fact, I think you're improving the offense if you put Fred VanVleet on the bench because we know he can ball and have uh, Norm you know continue to thrive on offense and in the defensive end. I think that's probably a better idea. But the thing is. Um, in terms of steals, if we're talking defense, Fred Van Vliet, I want to say, is like top five in NBA in terms of steals right He's now. third. Yes. He's third. He averages two a game. So you're kind of eliminating that, but in ter- I don't know that that is, if you eliminate that aspect, I don't know that that'd be that much of a detriment in terms of like improving the rebound. I'd rather have the rebounding improving and you know have a slight decline in steals. I have. Let, can I pitch something to you? Sure. And... You tell me what you think. It was in my five alarming trends piece. I know where you're and going. <laughs> what do you think about Fred Van Fleet starting with Norm, OG, Siakam, Gasol, and Kyle Lowry coming off the bench? Hear me out. I'm not just going to drop that sure. without giving some context. Because the, the immediate reaction, and hey, we got to first acknowledge a good segment of the Raptors fan base is irrational about Kyle Lowry. We saw it with his game one performance against the Orlando magic where people were trying to tell us that (laughs) missing all your shots and scoring zero points was somehow a good game. And we also, I, and also Lowry can kick a puppy and people would be like, well, that puppy deserved it, man. What was was the plus minus? (laughs) (laughs) What was the plus minus on that? (laughs) Like we're starting to talk about Lowry with intangible things like, oh, his birthday is uh, happens when Venus is closer to the sun. (laughs) And we know that has an effect on the tides and makes Lowry play. Soon we're going to be talking about things like that. And this and when I say move, I want to give this some context because it's hard to extrapolate this on Twitter without people thinking I'm reducing Lowry's role. And this is some sort of insult to Lowry. I think nurse a to help mitigate some of the chemistry issues with a player like Lowry returning could have been best served by bringing Lowry off the bench to get his legs going again. Mm -hmm. Would that have helped matters? Who knows? I think at this point in time, Fred Van Fleet is a better player than Kyle Lowry. That's where this is coming from. It's not a knock on Lowry. It's a acknowledgement that Fred Van Fleet has taken the jump. And if Fred Van Fleet is going to lead this team for the next 10 years, you know, the age difference between him and Lowry pretty much, then 
it might be time to hand the keys to him. This doesn't mean that Lowry is going to suddenly, and if this were to happen, if this were me in control of the lineup, be playing 10, 20 minutes a game, Lowry will still get his minutes, 28 to 32. We'll see some of that two-point guard lineups. But I'm, I'm at the point where I might be ready to hand the keys to Fred Van Fleet. And we always say, who does Lowry thrive with? Lowry plus bench lineups. Mm. Let's cut out the middleman. Let's have him play with the bench. Who does Lowry have the most chemistry with? That pick and pop with Ibaka at the elbow jumper. Oh, yeah. Let's keep them tied together. Who does Fred Van Fleet have that chemistry with? Pascal Siakam. It's one of the top assist combinations in the league. Siakam to Fred Van Fleet. It's up there with LeBron to AD. And I'm not insulting Lowry. I love Kyle Lowry. I'm the guy who routinely says he's the best point guard in the East. He's better than Chris Paul. Um, I, I've routinely said this. So it's important that I, to me to say I'm not knocking Lowry. I'm more of an acknowledgement of it's time to run with Fred Van Fleet. He's shown. And if we're trying to lure a 2021 free agent, they're not going to come here because of age 36 Kyle Lowry. They're going to come here because Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Norman Powell, maybe Terrence Davis II. Those are the players that those 2021 free agents are going to have their eye on. And I did not think I would be saying this at the beginning of the season, but the future is now for this team. This team is good. They proved it by going eight and two, a 10 game stretch. That's one eighth of the season. It's not a small sample size and I'm not denigrating Lowry. I'm saying he can play his 28 to 32 minutes a game, maybe bring his minutes down a little and have him roll with the bench. Adam, people are going to want you to put, put me on trial for disparaging Lowry. What do you say? I'm never going to put you on trial for that because, you know, it'd be one thing if you said it and then like didn't have any sort of logical explanation for it. I think the explanation is very logical. In a perfect world, I don't disagree with you. I think in a perfect world that Kyle Lowry, um, I don't like seeing him playing upwards to 40 minutes a game anyway. Right. And I, I, if this is maybe it, to put a different perspective or a different spin on your take, if it's a way to sort of keep him fresh for the playoffs, I think that has its benefits too. Right. And especially coming off of an injury, um, I know it was just a thumb injury. And I don't mean to say just to sort of, you know, minimize it, but it wasn't an injury to his legs. Like he probably still had cardiovascular strength. But still, someone coming off an injury, you don't want to throw him out there for 40 minutes. And that's what exactly what happened. Um, I think that the Lowry plus bench unit, as you mentioned, has its advantages. I think Kyle Lowry with the Serge Ibaka tandem is a very good one. In a perfect world, I don't disagree. Here's the problem. I don't think Kyle Lowry is going to be for it. Like, no, I, God, know, no. You mentioned no, that. that. That's, that's the monkey wrench. Do I think they should do it? Absolutely. Will, will Kyle agree to it? No, no. way. No. You know, and you even mentioned it in the article. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. And, you know, also something that you include in the article, like this is a guy that wanted to be traded, right? This is a guy well, not wanted to be, but threatened to be right. And this is a guy that like, if he doesn't have things done his way, he's going to want out. Like, and that's, that's what I fear is that Kyle Lowry's a bulldog, both on and off the court. Like he, he's very headstrong. I fear that if this is even flirted with to him, 
there's going to be disruption issues in the locker room. And I don't know that we can be in a position where we can handle that right now as a team. But that opens up some other thoughts. No one talks about that Lowry wasn't participating in training camp because he didn't have an extension. Right. No one talks about that he was going to force the Raptors' hand into trading him if they didn't extend him. Somehow, no one talks about it. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the media scrums and the beat writers. Did any of these beat writers say, hey, Lowry, were you really going to ask for a trade if you didn't get this extension? Isn't that the most logical and natural question to ask after Michael Grange broke that story? I would think Michael Grange would be the first one to ask it. No one asked it. This is why you everyone should ignore quotes from media scrums unless they're coming from Nick Nurse. <laughs> but that's the whole point behind this. You, would Lowry accept this? No. Is Lowry moody? Yes. Did Lowry ask to be traded from this team that people back irrationally, Lowry? He would have if he didn't get his extension. Therefore, he made it clear, if that extension isn't here, I'm not here. So then the question is, is Lowry, is that something you want from a leader? We don't, I'm not, anyways, that's a separate topic, but these are questions that I have thinking about that. And it's important to note that these things happen. This is Lowry's personality and there's no way in hell Lowry is coming off the bench. Lowry will be a starter his whole time in Toronto, whether we like it or not, but that is just my personal suggestion from what I see with my own eyes and ears and years of watching basketball. Does it mean I'm right? No, but it also doesn't mean I'm wrong. No, no, I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, in terms of rush roster fluctuation and, you know, trying to mitigate issues, you have to look at these things, right? And like it look no more to the, the last playoff game. DeMar DeRozan played. Uh, he was benched. He was benched in the fourth quarter, or it may have been the second to the last, the the one where LeBron hit that shot. I think it was the second to the last game. Um, mm-hmm. These things happen. Like it, it, Adjustments have to be made, and I, I don't fault you for, for making those adjustments. I know like you got some heat on Twitter about it, and that's, you know, whatever. It's, it's going to happen, but in no way. To, I'm for any suggestion to make the team better, no matter like if it means moving someone to the bench or not. Like it, If Serge Ibaka, when we got Marcus All, I think Serge Ibaka was injured at the time, and they were trying to figure out like how are they going to do this roster construction. Ended up Serge Ibaka was sitting on the bench, or coming off the bench, rather. Um, I think before that, if we even made the suggestion, like, hey, I think Serge should come off the bench, people would be like, you're crazy. Until it works. Right until it works, like if Fred Van Vliet thrives as a starter, and that in turn makes Kyle Lowry thrive as a as a bench man, uh, anything to make the team better. That's my argument, and I and I don't think people should have the knee jerk reaction of, oh, you're disrespecting the god that is uh, Kyle Lowry. I sure, I I get that he's a Raptors legend in the making, but if it means making the team better, that is to me all that matters. Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's. I, I knew I was going to get slander because there is a level of irrationality and any slight towards Lowry is viewed as an insult towards Lowry. I got no, I, I, yeah. I, I think Lowry is one of the best players in the league, one of the best point guards in the league. And, you know, like, but it, it, what the thought that keeps coming back to me is if the pipe dream is Giannis, and I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. I agree. He's not coming to play with Kyle Lowry. 
he's coming if whether it's uh, Giannis or someone of Giannis's stature, they're coming to play with Fred Van Fleet. They're coming to play with Pascal Siakam. They're coming to play with OG Ananomi and Norman Powell. So why not give them, if you have confidence in it the way I do, why not give them this run to make their case for the rest of the league? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, I think they've proved it. And it, like I said, it's no knock on Lowry, but I kind of like the way Fred Van Vliet plays. He doesn't – Lowry, there will be one or two shots a game where Lowry passes it up, hesitates. It leads to a turnover, an even worse shot. Fred Van Vliet don't hesitate. No. This is a guy who got a finals MVP. And Fred Van Vliet's at-rim finishing, it went up to elite levels this year. He's finishing with these acrobatic layups that – with all kinds of English on the ball that have no right to go in. They go in. And the main thing I keep coming back to is if one of the point guards goes to the bench, we've already established Fred Van Fleet to Siakam is the chemistry, like the assist combinations I mentioned. And if you have Fred Van Fleet in the bench, then him and Siakam aren't going to be able to play as many minutes together because Siakam is obviously going to start. So if if Fred Van Fleet's displaying chemistry with Siakam and that's the one-two punch you're using as part of your recruitment pitch, let's ride it. And if Lowry and all bench lineups is everyone's euphoria on Twitter anytime it happens, cut out the middleman. And if Lowry and Ibaka have the same chemistry that Fred Van Fleet and Siakam have, Damn, put them together. Yeah. It, it just it, it makes in my head it makes too much sense. But do I think it will happen? God no. It probably won't happen like as for the reasons we mentioned, like Kyle Lowry won't be down for it. But it definitely is a thought, and I uh, again to put a bow on this, I don't think it deserves slander. Obviously, like people are protective of Kyle Lowry and his role and his presence as a Toronto Raptors starter. But in no way do I think like finding ways to improve the squad. Uh, means, you know, and that being having Kyle Lowry come off the bench means, you know, that you hate Kyle Lowry at all. I think people that were asking to trade Kyle Lowry, maybe that's a different story, but that's you know, different. That, yes. That's that's irrational. I like, agree. right? Yeah. Like, I, you, you don't, there, we're not going to trade. If, if, if Lowry gets traded, it's to improve the team. We're not going to trade him for the sake of getting some protected first round pick just to get rid of Lowry because the dude is still a top 20 to 30 player in the league. I just think Fred Van Fleet's a, a hair better yeah, and a lot younger. All right. Well, to put a bow on that, uh, we're going we're gonna to take our final break of the show. And we come back, we're going to drop the two sweet moment of the week. Stay tuned. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's time for the Too Sweet Moment of the Week here on the South of the Six Podcast. All right, Peter, you're making your debut on this season of the South of the Six Podcast. So it is my pleasure to let you run the floor here and give me your Too Sweet Moment of the Week first. Go ahead, man. You know, Adam, there's there's always a lot, lots of candidates. There's 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 always certain plays that um, that happen that don't get sort of the light of day when you're looking sort of at the narrative of a game. I do want to highlight a couple things before I give uh, my um, my final pick. I want to point. I want to highlight Gasol's big block on Larry Markkinen with 30 seconds left against mm. the Bulls. I thought that was incredible. Um, but the, 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 the two sweet moment of the week is I, I, I like to go big picture when you ask me to do this, Adam. I think 
the retracing of Kawhi's steps to the Game 7 buzzer beater and Kawhi's ring ceremony was was pitch perfect. It was, that to me, was the too sweet moment of the week, welcoming back a conquering hero, giving him the reception he deserves, giving him the ring that he earned, letting him look, letting him appreciate and soak in the adulation from the crowd one more time, even though it'll happen many times, but never at this pitch when, because he's getting his ring. And like we said at the beginning, let's close the page on the Kawhi chapter. Kawhi getting the love from the Toronto faithful, from the Raptors faithful. That to me, Adam, is my too, sm- too sweet moment of the week with a acknowledgement to Gasol's block on Lowry Markkanen in the Bulls game. We are in lockstep. I can't deny that my too sweet moment of the week was the foot retracing. That was just to me. That was, like I, I told you, I was in mid hug with my wife, and I just stopped, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" And it, it was, it was just so cool to see like Toronto pull that off, and the the camera angle and everything was just awesome. It, it, if you were watching live, I hope you had like a seat high up. Because if you were like low to the ground, I don't know that you'd get the effect on it. Because on television, they were just hovering over the basket, which was you saw everything. You saw the the best possible angle at that moment, and it was just it was just perfect. And I got to agree with you. That to me was the too sweet moment of the week. So kudos to Kawhi. Um, you know, I did have an actual second runner up for it, and it was a simple play from last night. A lot of people like to hate on Patrick Bacot, and I get it. He hasn't really been that productive. But last night in the fourth quarter of the Nets game. McCaw had the ball. He drove into the lane, drawing the defenders in, and he recognized that Norman Powell was open for a pretty deep three, kicked it out, and splashed. Like, to me, that it was so simple, but that, like, recognition of Patrick McCaw to say, I don't really have it. Let me draw the defenders in and pass it out to someone that's on freaking fire right now to Norman Powell. I really like that moment, I, and that sequence to me was just perfect. So, otherwise, you know, obviously Kawhi takes the cake on it, though. You're, I can't argue with you there, and you know, it, it, McCaw does take a lot of heat, and I've seen some posts where it's like trade McCaw. It's like, well, if you trade McCaw, what do you think? What, what are you getting back? Not getting We're not anything. getting back. Yeah. We're not getting anything back. Yeah. We're getting something of equivalent value, and I, I have no issue with McCaw. I think he's fine in the role that he plays. But no, that's that's a great acknowledgement to acknowledge those those moments that necessarily don't show up in the in the box score necessarily, but have an impact on winning. All right, well, with that, we have three games lined up for you this week. Let's predict them. I think this is, as you mentioned, it's a nice little stretch for the Raptors to sort of ease up on the competition on their end. They can, like, sort of not relax with it, but it's definitely less challenging than the games that they've had previously. So Monday, they're at home versus Cleveland, who have won just one game out of their last 10 as of this recording. Wednesday, they head to Detroit to see Dwayne Casey once again. Detroit has won six of their last 10, and Friday, they come back home against Washington who have won two of their last 10. What say ye, Peter? What what do you think they're going to do this week? This is the perfect stretch in addition to the Nets victory from Saturday to get things right. This week is perfect to get things right because the following week, it's going to be another difficult stretch. We're going to oh, yeah. host Dallas. We're going to Indiana. And then we got the Christmas Day game against Boston that that I'll be at and then another game against Boston. So 
This week is almost imperative. And Adam, I do think the ship has been righted. I'm guessing Fred Van Fleet's going to return during one of these games and help restore balance to the full roster. Uh, I'm at the game Monday. I'll be at the game Friday. I'll be watching at home Wednesday. I'm seeing a 3-0 and week. And if you're at any of the games Monday, Friday, and you want to meet up and say hello, drop and send me a DM. I'm happy to chat with Raptors fans at the, at the game as well. But Adam, I'm seeing a perfect 3-0 and week. Took the words right out of my mouth. I have the same thing. Three wins in a row, which leads to to four in a row. I think that this is a perfect opportunity for the Raptors to, you know, really settle in and uh, be prepared for what's to come next week because you're right, it's going to be pretty tough. Um, so having said that, you know, that's going to do it for today's show. Um, Peter, it was great to have you back on. You know the deal, dude. Promote any and everything you got going on. I know you said you were going to be at the next two home games, so everybody that is attending those, anybody that's attending those, rather, shoot Peter a DM. I'm sure he'll talk Raptors with you, and I'm sure if you have strong thoughts about Kyle Lowry, he'll talk to you about those too, but in a civil, <laughs> in a right. civil, civil manner, you know, maybe over a beverage or two. But uh, Peter, go ahead. Floor is yours, man. Bring on all the Lowry slander. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Um, uh, Adam... Um, we had to, like I said earlier, we had uh, you know, on Twitter, we had to reschedule my October visit um, due to extenuating circumstances. And people did reach out to me wondering when I'll be back on. Well, here I am. And you can find my work at lifeinrepeat.com. I'm on Twitter at lifeinrepeat. The holiday season is almost here. We got our Christmas Day game to look forward to. That is going to be awesome. And Adam, how long has it been since I've said the most four famous words on the South <laughs> of the Sixth podcast? Now hit my music. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The drives are cool. While I've got the mood. That really move them. I said chill. Up and down their spine I'm just a sexy boy I'm not your boy toy Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.